Good morning. morning. We're going to uh, be in Psalm 73 this morning if you'd like to turn there. Uh, The elders have not given me any instructions about being efficient. (laughs) So uh, I assume it's just pretty open-ended and since uh, you had no sermon last week, I'm given double time, right? Uh, if I see, if you're voting with the feet and the feet are moving out, I'll, I'll know what that means, that you didn't agree. We are studying in Psalm 73, and it's a part of this series about the illusion of control. I'm not going to talk a great deal about that, except in the sense that there are times when we feel like we're not in control, Right? <laughs> And uh, have you ever had those times? I imagine there's enough of us, maybe many of us, that have those times when we've had a near miss with life. There's been some circumstance when we knew uh, we had a brush with death. And it's pretty startling. Uh, One of my memories, and I've got lots of these. I I don't know how many, but I'll only tell one and and, uh, compact it. Uh, When I was about, I grew up on a ranch in western South Dakota, and uh, so I remember one summer, uh, my mom said, we've we've got to get off this place and go to town and do something. (laughs) And uh, my friend Billy was along with me, and uh, just, uh, we went and had a picnic in the Black Hills in Spearfish Canyon. There was a little stream running through it, Spearfish Creek. And so uh, my parents were just trying to relax after the picnic and everything. Of course, that was not very interesting to 12-year-olds. So we took off up this hill, up this mountain, and uh, there, was a, there was a cliff about 100 feet high. And we went around to get to the top of it and sort of overlook the valley, and that was you know, really cool and everything. Uh, parts of this I don't remember well, maybe because it was a little bit frightening. But the tree line stopped about 40 feet before the edge of the cliff. And I don't know if it was Billy's suggestion or mine. I'm going to blame a lot of this on Billy. Did that pick up there? (laughs) Now can you hear me? Uh, So uh, there's there's about 40 or 50 feet to the edge of the cliff. And I don't know if it was uh, Billy's idea or mine. I'll, I'll say it was his. Uh, to, to kind of look over the edge and kind of see what we could of the valley. That would be ex- excellent, right? And uh, so we began kind of scooting down its own shale, you know, pretty, not super steep, but steep enough. And uh, we're, we're walking down towards it, and then all of a sudden, we realize uh, this is a bad idea. Uh, because if you're standing up on shale, you know what happens? You, you just, every time you move, you go down. You have really no control. And I was a bit ahead of Billy, and uh, I realized we're in trouble. And uh, there's no tree to grab, there's nothing to grab. And every time I move, I start slipping a little farther down towards the edge. So I know this could end badly. So uh, for those of you who know, if this ever happens to you, if you're in a situation like that, what should you do? You lay down to get as much surface area as you can on the rock. And then you don't panic and you don't move fast. You just crawl inch by inch the rest of the way back up, and I did. 
And uh, I shouldn't have been thinking about that last night before I went to bed. Because <laughs> I had both a hard time getting to sleep and then also uh, I woke up really early this morning. So, but you've had those. Some of you have had those and maybe even closer. And those are really frightening and really scarier experience, scary experiences. But I think even scarier and maybe deeper in us are those times if we felt like there have been times when we've been close to losing our faith. That we've been that close. Just, just so close and maybe not even know anyone to talk about it. So I bring some questions before us this morning, uh, perhaps either to help ourselves or perhaps to help other people. My questions are for us, could struggling with your faith be a normal part of a walk with God? Could people who are both weak and strong in their faith have a crisis that is so severe that it causes them to question God's management of the universe? Could a crisis of faith be so serious that it almost causes a person to give up on God? I believe the answer to those questions is yes. I believe that primarily because I, what's what I see over and over again in Scripture. You look through Psalms and other places, you just, you just see it over and over again. People that we called, maybe we would call them giants of the faith or not, but they've really wrestled with these sort of questions. And then secondarily, because I've seen it in my own life and then the lives of other people, that they've had these struggles. This morning I want us to consider three more stories. One is from the Bible, one is a story of mine, and one I'll leave as a surprise. So we're going to walk, first of all, the first story is in Psalm 73. And you can turn your Bibles there, we'll have the scriptures up on the board. By the way, kudos to the sound, and <laughs> I, brought in, I brought in the PowerPoint way too late, and, uh, but they got it in, so thank you so much for that. So the, first, the psalm begins with a summary statement that is common with uh, this kind of literature, that it states something that is the conclusion. And so the conclusion of this man's spiritual journey is that God is good. Surely God is good. And God is good to Israel. And God is good to those who are the pure in heart. But there's also been a journey before this conclusion. And the conclusion, or the, the journey, has been very, very painful. There was a time during his journey when the psalmist wasn't sure if God was actively good towards the pure in heart. And then there is a report. Now there will be two perspectives in this psalm, but first a report uh, of another summary statement of the journey. And he says, but, now watch for these transitions words. God is good to Israel, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. What a pause here and just, just take this, this psalmist statement seriously. He, he really is saying, I almost lost my faith. We must pause with the author and seek to jump, not seek to kind of, you know, jump to the end of the conclusion, the happy ending, but kind of walk with him in his confusion and pain. 
And then there's a more detailed description, the reason he almost lost his faith. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. That, that's amazing to me that he's that honest. He just tells you, here's the reason I just got envious of the people. So Asaph was tremendously bothered when he saw the wicked people prospering, and so much so that he was jealous, he was bitter to the point of a distraction. Next, he gives more details. And, and notice uh, the, the no and not kind of language, and I, I think he's exaggerating here, but let's read it. And because he says they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Really? They have no troubles at all? Well, that's his evaluation. So the analysis continues. Not only are they free from common life problems, but therefore, so because they are so secure, they're full of pride. Pride is like a necklace they wear, and they clothe themselves also, not only that, but they're hurtful to other people with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity, their evil imaginations have no limits, they scoff and speak with malice, again with arrogance, and they threaten oppression, so they're hurtful to people. And their mouths lay claim to heaven, so their tongues take possession of the, hurt of the earth. They are not only healthy and wealthy, they're arrogant and cruel. And their influence spills over into the lives of other people. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. Now, the language is kind of obscure here, but it's based upon the context. I would interpret it this way. In other words, these people are cruel and they're heartless and arrogant and the people around them love it. Isn't that weird? <laughs> they lap it up like dogs or they drink the Kool-Aid. In other words, the naive believe every word of these fools and the wicked are their heroes. The arrogance of the wicked is heard in their boasts. They say, how could God know? Does the Almighty Most High know anything? He doesn't know what's going on down here. He doesn't care. This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Then, as we tend to do, there's a comparative observation about himself and his wallowing conclusion. I, I just love this because I think it's so real. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. Remember, God is good to Israel, and God is good to the pure in heart. And I've been pure at heart. I've been working at this a lot, and it's just not bringing anything. <laughs> he says, I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted. All day long. And every morning brings new punishments. Again, I think that may be exaggeration. You mean, you mean there hasn't been one single thing in any day that God has blessed you with? And from his perspective, he said, yeah, 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 that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> exactly what I'm saying. In other words, there is no benefit to serving God when God doesn't automatically cause people to reap what they sow. By the way, this is also the key issue in Job. So Psalm 73 really kind of mirrors that. In other words, uh, to remember Satan's question? He's been wandering around on the earth and just, you know, shows up before God and the council and all that, it's, it, which is kind of like, let's kind of weird, right? And says, uh, God says, hey, have, you ever, have, you, have you looked at Job? Well, yeah, yeah, but you know, you're protecting him. If you would take everything away, he'll curse you. 
In other words, the question in this psalm in Job is, what is God good for anyway? Is God good for anything? Or is God worthy enough and holy enough to love and serve simply because of who he is? Is God that good? Then suddenly a random thought kind of intrudes into the bitterness. If I had spoken out like that, I would betrayed your children. It just seems like it's almost inserted <laughs> in here. But I, I think what he may be saying, I can't talk to anyone about this. And if I did, it would just mess other people's faith up. I just got to internalize this and keep it to myself. Now, there's a, I just kind of want to take an aside on this a bit. I think that is uh, both a sad and familiar and destructive way to think. <laughs> but it may be common among people of faith at times. I want to say this both gently and with conviction, but there is a myth that strong Christians don't ever struggle with their faith. And if they do, they ought to keep it to themselves and not talk about it too honestly. In other words, it's something like this. There are some things that ought not to be spoken like that among polite Christians. It would be too uncomfortable and too upsetting for someone to say such a thing in the midst of believers. I believe that's just a terrible understanding of our relationship with God and the believing community. Rather, the purpose of this psalm, in part, is to show us that faithful people can and do struggle. Then, the summary of perspective was, when I tried to understand all this, it's deeply troubling. And this journey can be. It can be so painful, and there can be agony and despair. So it troubled him greatly. Now, verse 17 is really the pivot, the hinge in this psalm, the key. So if you're marking in your Bibles, and you know, here goes a big star. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their full destiny. So the perspective begins to change. This is only one verse, and, and we don't know how long this took. It's not like, you know, maybe five minutes. Uh, we don't know how long this transition took. But we do know he's meeting God and he's wrestling with God. And we know that he met God. All that is enough to bring him understanding. It's remarkable how the presence of God brings clarity to life, right? How the presence of God brings clarity, not answering all the questions, but perspective on everything. And then he understands what will re truly happen with the wicked. And he also realizes his place. Verse 18, the reality of the wicked. Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you rise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. Now, it sounds kind of harsh, <laughs> but he realizes what's ultimately, that God is ultimately going to intersect and intervene and act. And the psalmist also realizes his previous confusion. When I was heart was grieved, my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant, I was like a brute beast before you. Uh, you know, maybe if I were translating that modernly, I was just like a cow. <laughs> just like a cow. 
when we have don't when we lose our focus on the Lord and get too focused on life and uh, I know that's been true of me I've marveled over the years uh, during ministry and other times I have to keep take a lot of time to keep my own head on straight in this world do you it seems like a disproportionate amount of time because there are so many things so many pressures uh, in this world that I just kind of get all messed up and so I really have to keep focused on the Lord to keep clear to keep clarity now notice the new reality sees yet I am always with you do you see a contrast? Now before he says, I don't even know if it's been worth serving you, and yet I'm always with you. And you hold me by my right hand. The right hand is a hand of power. So God has got a hold of this right hand, presumably to strengthen it, and you're guiding me with your counsel. Afterward, you will take me to glory. Now what's interesting is that God has always been there, right? That, that's what I want us to see, is that God has always been there, but He didn't see it. God has always been present. God didn't just show up when He went to the sanctuary. But it was when there was a focus on the Lord that the psalmist became aware of God. And now this second new perspective, what happens because of that? Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Really? There's not a thing on this earth that I desire more than God Himself. There's not anything in heaven I would rather have than God. My flesh and my heart may fail. I may dry up. I may die. I will get old. I will die. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In other words, God, you are enough. So what if the wicked prosper for a while? They don't have you. So what if I suffer for a while? You're worth more than all the treasures on earth and in heaven. With you, I'm rich beyond measure and then the end of the wicked another summary statement those who are far from you will perish you destroy all who are unfaithful to you God will act in his own time but for me it is just good to be near God I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge and I will tell others of all your deeds so there's this conclusion, God is good. It's good to be near God. There's a decision I have made, the sovereign Lord, my refuge, and there's a proclamation to others, sharing his journey. Uh, another one of my stories, and, and I'm going to compact it, but uh, so when my wife and I and children were in Philadelphia serving as stateside missionaries, uh, the supporting congregation we were with, uh, the elders and I got into, uh, uh, we, there was a conflict over a doctrinal issue. 
And uh, long story short is that eventually we mutually agreed that, you know, we were, just, <laughs> we were at an impasse and that we were never going to work through it. And it's not as though we didn't try. I mean, we tried. But uh, in September, I said, you know, if you want to let me go, just go ahead because church budgets are being formed in November. And so don't wait till December to fire me. <laughs> and they said, that sounds like a good idea. And, uh, and actually, I was grateful for that because they supported me through December. But, but during this time, I mean, we're, Barbara and I came from, come from pretty small congregations uh, who are unknown and don't have a lot of extra uh, fat on the bone to support anybody. And we were in Philadelphia. Our families are in the north central states. And so it's, it's, uh, our children are like third grade and kindergarten. And uh, we've just bought a home. We've been there one year. And I don't know, we, we don't know what's going to happen. And uh, I'm pretty upset and, and concerned about it, and understandably, because uh, I, I don't, you know, I'm horribleizing. You ever horribleize? I don't even know if that's a word, but it probably explains itself, right? You know, I just, I'm just in, it's going to go worse, and it's going to get worse, and, and it, it's going to be terrible, and uh, I'll, 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 I'll get hungry and rob a bank, and and, and go to jail or you know it's just on and on and, and that sort of thing and so uh, I'm also uh, probably unnecessarily but maybe some rightly concerned I, I don't know if the elders are going to start writing letters and bulletin articles about me so and, and send them out to the whole world like I'm that important but you know uh, and, and so nobody will hire me or if somebody hires me then it may not be till the next summer because these hiring cycles kind of go along with the school year if you have children so so what am I going to do from January to July and on and on and on so uh, I began wrestling with this psalm and uh, what part of what I'm trying to help us with this morning is this that in these moments you you've really got to start to be honest with god and so as i wrestled through this uh some verses it wasn't parallel you know i wasn't jealous of the wicked but uh mad at some people but <laughs> uh i had to ask myself towards the end of this psalm is it true for me really and, and I wouldn't let myself answer the question too quickly. Is it really true for me that I have no one in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. As for me, it is good to be near God. I wrestled with this for about two weeks. Is God with me? Is God guiding me? If God is guiding me, is he going to send me where, somewhere I want to go? You know, sometimes God sends us a place we don't want to go. I don't, I'm not totally open to going anywhere in the United States. Uh, but I guess I would. What if I had to? Is there nothing on earth I desire but God? Is it good enough to just be near God? Is God enough? 
And this, this uh, thought really did go through my mind. What are my options here? Could I be happy if for the rest of my life I flipped hamburgers? Now that's a noble profession, okay? But I have a doctor's degree and a master's degree, and that was not my plan coming out of college. Now I couldn't work the cashiers at McDonald's because I can't hear well enough to take orders unless they said four. But if there are any, you know, special orders don't upset us at Burger King, I can't do that. I, I can flip things off the grill if they tell me, you know, what the, so, so I'm really wondering about that, because uh, I don't know. And I'm not trying to present myself as a hero in this story, but I did say, yes, I can do that. As long as I have God, it's enough, and I will be happy. Now, again, the point of Asaph's story and my story is not to show ourselves as spiritual giants, but who is the hero in the story? It's God. God has always been there. And he is with us, he holds us, he guides us, he saves us. And he is the one who is good. Now the third story. And it's your story. It's your story. And I just want to make a few points about that. That a crisis of faith does not mean that God has left you. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're lost. It may only mean you've lost perspective. And the way through a crisis of faith is not in denial of the crisis, but bringing it before God and seeing God. And that may take some time. Which brings me to the last point. In this psalm, the author is alone in the journey. But for both old and new Israel, the emphasis is on faith being lived in community. For all of us, we ought to be building a community that welcomes the discouraged and welcomes the downhearted and wavering so that people can be strengthened before God and godly people. Do you agree with that? That's what we want. That's the kind of church culture we want. And I'm just adamantly opposed to the philosophy that good spiritual people never have doubts. I've, I've admitted that sometimes in a Bible class and it really upsets some people, so you, you, know, you may be upset today. Uh, I've had some doubts after preaching a long time. And that people can be mad at God or question God and they don't need to just shut up or not say anything about it and be alone. I realize we need to be wise about who we share with uh, we were teaching this kindergarten class this, this morning, and, <laughs> you know, I'd say to the kindergartners, you know, I've really had some face struggles here. Can you help me out a little bit? <laughs> How about you guys? Do you have any face struggles? You know? <laughs> Got anything you want to share here? Quit hitting him. <laughs> but at some point, even the young need to know that a crisis of faith is not unusual. There is tremendous pain when people live in community that implies there are some things good Christians don't say 
or talk about. I remember in my late teens, and I, I wasn't a churchgoer. We weren't a churchgoing family at the time, but uh, I, I remember began wondering, is there a God? And I just didn't think that was something I could bring up to my parents because I knew it would really upset them. And I was also it would be a really <laughs> awkward conversation. So I didn't. This psalm clearly teaches that God does not reject the honest questioner, but rather welcomes them. And the rest of the Bible clearly teaches that we grow best in community. So I hope that helps some this morning. Perhaps you've never had a doubt, but you may someday. And I want, I want to say to you folks, uh, you know, I guess uh, we're picking on you this morning, so sorry. Uh, it's just because I have a heart. I, I think, maybe, maybe it's not for you. I just, you know, Bruce's opinion. I just think high school and college is one of the hardest times in life, right? I, I think. Maybe, maybe your guys are glancing through it smoothly. I don't know. But, uh, and if you are, thank God for that. But uh, there's so many questions, you know, so many firsts and so many things uh, that are changing. Your first driver's license, maybe your first date, you know, maybe it was later. Uh, all these things and questions. And if not, you know, when you, when you leave home, man, uh, one of the best things you do is pick some, pick some spiritual people. Because friends will make an enormous difference. And I also want to say to you that if you begin having all kind of doubts, and surely some of you will, that you find some people you can trust to talk to. And also, if you're not there, that you be the kind of person that will listen and care and help people walk through it. You have no idea what a blessing you'll be. Truly. So that's Psalm 73 and three stories with it. And I hope it helps you. Uh, it's been, I've had a feeling this morning, it's been a pretty serious psalm. Uh, but I hope we have a sense of the joy that comes at the end. We're going to be led in a song, and then I'll give a blessing.